Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. You're watching the Muslim Jordi podcast. Welcome to another episode. We are back this weekend again. Every weekend we're here, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Um, I'll be here with different guests talking about different topics. Usually topics that no one really wants to talk about. And we're going to unpack, we normally unpack some of those, you know, taboo subjects as well. So uh, I'm sure that tonight isn't going to be any different, inshallah. Yeah? Let, me, let me give a shout out to our sponsors before we, before we introduce our guest. Um, HM Residential, Hill Matheson, Brother Zaf, big up to you and your uh, organizations. Thank you for sponsoring our program. Uh, Manjaro's Restaurant as well, of course, in Newcastle, Manjaro's Newcastle. Make sure that you uh, break your iftar there at least once during this Ramadan. So we're going to go straight into it. Now that we've done all of our intros and shout-outs and stuff, let me introduce a good friend of mine, um, a brother all the way from Toronto, Canada. He's agreed to come on. I'm really grateful that he's come on to have a conversation. He's one of the, what, what I consider the old-school brothers, right? So he's one of the, the brothers who's, who's involved in the Dawah from the 90s. Um, he's seen a lot of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, the dramas, and he's got a lot of insight. I think I'm really looking forward to share some of this conversation with. I want to introduce you all to Brother Rashid Gonzalez. Assalamu alaikum, Rashid. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Good to see you, man. I'm glad you were able you, to make it to the show. Ramadan. Yeah, how has your Ramadan been? Uh, it's been pretty good so far. I mean, um, Considering with COVID and all that, they got uh, another lockdown here in Toronto. So, um, you know, trying to make yeah, do with that and, you know, between work and home, family. Yeah, it's gone quick though, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, like I mentioned earlier, um, I was telling my kid who said, you know, surprised about end of April is already right, right here and told him, you know, like it's one of the signs of the last day that time seems to fly by. So, you know, we got to make the most of what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah alhamdulillah. The last, 10, the last 10 days and the last 10 nights of Ramadan are fast approaching. So yeah. give some advice to the, to the viewers on, you know, how we can maximize our time and what we should be focusing on these last 10 nights. Well, we could do what I did and take the last 10 days of Ramadan off work. <laughs> Use those vacation days so Good. that you can uh, focus, inshallah. And, um, do whatever you can. Read Quran, Salah, Dikr, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the main thing is, you know, when when the scholars, they teach us, they say that the, the hadith that talk about the last 10 nights is to search for Laylatul Qadr. Don't just put all your eggs in one basket that it's going to be on yeah. one day and one night only. Search for it. So exert yourself in the last 10 nights. Exactly. You know, exactly. with your ibadah and stuff. Very Good. True. Good. All right. So let's talk a little bit about you, uh, Bro Rashid. Yeah. There's, um, there's quite a few things. Let's start with a little bit about your history. Talk a little bit about your background. Who is Rashid uh, Gonzalez? Well, I'm a Filipino Canadian convert. Um, I became Muslim in 1999. So I wasn't exactly there in the 90s, just about the end. Um, alhamdulillah, uh, my younger brother, uh, Ismail, he, Converted before me about two years before, almost to the day, and uh, he gave me he started giving me dawah real, real subtly, you know, like uh, uh, we were 
born into a Christian family, and um, I was probably the first from my, my three brothers to say I wasn't Christian anymore. Mm. Um, and I did that because of some of the stuff I saw from the people at the church we were going to. I, I felt that, uh, you know, the way that they looked towards us, because, I mean, growing from like a urban, you know, background, we weren't exactly the most angelic kids. <laughs> and um, a lot of the churchgoers, they looked at us as like little hoodlums and thugs. So, mm. you know, and the stuff that they were preaching about brotherhood and love and all that stuff, it, we didn't really feel it from the congregation. And I mm. felt that, um, you know, that among other things didn't make too much sense, you know. So I said, that's it. I'm done with this. So I was agnostic for a long time. And then my brother ended up accepting Islam in uh, 97. And around 99, um, I guess uh, I had some issues, I'll say, <laughs> not without getting too much details. Like anyone who wants to read my story, I have ever written, like, I guess, autobiography on my blog, which, I mean, hasn't been active in quite a while, but it's there. So if anyone's interested, they can check that out. Rashid Gonzalez at WordPress. And, um, yeah, so I had some, a bunch of problems, and my brother took the opportunity um, to start giving me dawah. Hmm. And over time, you know, like, little things. It wasn't, like, anything too uh, obvious, I guess. Like, he'd ask me little questions, like, um, one of, the, one of the questions I really remember him asking me was, what's science? And me being smartass, you know, I like, it's the way things work. What are you, stupid? <laughs> and he's like, wrong. I'm like, what? What do you mean, wrong? This is the way, he's like, no, it's the way God makes things work. And I sat there, and I was like, yeah, you know what? You got a point there. You know, mm. and he'd ask me little questions like this here and there to drop dawah. And then um, spring of that year, he decided to, because uh, he's like the two years that he, he had converted, he wasn't really too practicing. And uh, the year that I converted, he decided to get serious about it and start learning and uh, start practicing more. And part of that, he, he made a, uh, plan to take a three-month trip, two months in the Philippines to visit family. And then from there, he was planning to go to make Umrah in Saudi and then to New York for a conference, an Islamic conference. And uh, so it was during this trip that he went away that I converted. He had uh, um, told a couple of close friends of ours um, that we'd grown up with uh, who had also converted after my brother uh, to keep an eye on me and to continue with the dawah. Nice. And that's what they did. So they ended up taking me to Shabir Ali's dawah center and ended up taking my shahada there in summer were of they, Were they of Filipino background as well? Yes, they're all Filipino. All, all yeah. Filipino Canadians, yeah. Okay, that's interesting because one thing I've noticed, Filipinos are generally... Believers in God, if if I could say that, you know, from my experiences yeah, with back home, they're Filipinos. really religious. Like a lot of strong Catholics back home. So yeah, and even when I was in Riyadh, there was a lot of um, Filipino workers there, 
And when we were giving them da'wah, I don't know what it is, but they seem to be very susceptible to Islam. You know, it's very easy for them to understand Islam. I don't know what it is compared to all the other communities that I've worked with and mm -hmm. given da'wah to. Filipinos seem to be the easiest, you know, the, the ones who are most susceptible and open to Islam. Why mm -hmm. is that? Why do you think that even in Philippines now, you know, the brothers who are doing work there now, they're getting like hundreds of shahadas, villages sometimes, all converting yeah, at one I time. And why is that? Why do you know. think that is? I honestly don't know. I mean, like, like if you look at Filipino history, which I'm not too, you know, familiar with, I know that Islam was there before Catholicism. That's right. Um, so, you know, the the traders that came from India and and, and other places, they they gave dawah to the people there, especially down in the mm -hmm. south. And they converted a lot of uh, the Filipinos. So I mean, it, and and you look at Filipino culture and also the language. It's just, there's some Arabic in in the, the main dialect in Tagalog. I don't know about the other dialects. Right. Um, there's also a lot of things that uh, in Filipino culture, like that. I don't know if it came from Islam, but you know, they they they're very similar. Hmm. Right. Like cleaning yourself after going to the washroom and. And uh, you know, like uh, respect and honor to your parents and elders. Like, there's a lot of uh, a lot of good things in Filipino culture that that have uh, that might have links to Islam. Like, I'm like I'm no expert in history and all that stuff, so I can't mm. say for sure. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, even some of the the little bits of history that I read, you know, the Muslims they even uh, they even helped. Uh, fight off against the Portuguese when the Portuguese are trying to come yeah, down yeah. and stuff like that. There's a lot of historical moments where I guess there is a lot of respect. Even if they're even if the Filipinos aren't Muslim, they still have a lot of respect towards Islam. Mm -hmm. You know, so I've I've heard that as well and I've seen some of the or oh, read read about that also. Yeah, there's a lot of uh folklore and stuff about the the moral warriors in the south, you know. Um I was told, and I haven't really confirmed this, but I remember um, before Islam, I was told that the U.S. Marines, they got their nickname Leathernecks because of the Moros. Um, and the story goes that they, the Moros, you know, fighting with their swords and stuff would go for the neck. And to protect themselves from getting their heads chopped off, they start wearing leather necklaces, like leather right. uh, braces around their neck to protect them from the swords. <laughs> well, well, I don't know if it's true, but you know. Okay, well, that's suppose that uh, the forty-five round caliber round was developed because of the Moros too. Okay, really? Now, from what I was, what I've heard, yeah. Uh, again, Allah knows best. Hmm. Why, why, why do you think that um, the Dawah is uh, quite open towards Filipinos? What do you think the reason for that is, though? Well, I'm, like is you said, the a lot of religious of the culture. Religious, what is, um, what is it? They're religious people to begin with, right? So, um, I guess it, like it depends, like with everybody, if they're sincere and they're honest, you know, like if they hear the truth, you can't really do anything other than accept it, you know. So, yeah, I think that you know, like just, I mean, not so much with Filipinos in specific, but like anybody, right? And because Filipinos are generally, like you said, very religious, they, they have that tie to God already. And if they're shown um, the truth about Allah and 
and his prophets and and his revelations, you know, that they'll start to see and link dots and you know come to the other conclusions. So yeah, you know, like I, I'm not a very big um I consider myself my culture primarily Canadian. <laughs> I'm not a big uh uh guy in into Filipino culture. Okay. Um I mean, as the way I was raised. So, I mean, like my wife is a lot more into Filipino culture. My wife is a Filipino convert as well from the UK. Okay. And um, she speaks the language as well. So her parents did a good job of keeping that. Whereas my, my parents believes my teachers when they told them to speak to me in English only. <laughs> so I, I can understand my native tongue, but um, I can't speak it. Hmm. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your Canadian side then. Let's talk a little bit about Canada. So you were born and raised in Canada. What was it like? What was it like being a Canadian Filipino there? And uh, from, from converting, how was the experience, your friends, your family? What was their response? You know, and what's your advice to, because it's interesting, something I picked up on. Mm-hmm. You said that your brother <laughs> gave sort of subtle dawah, right? Just yeah. questions here and there. What's your advice on, you know, dawah in general in terms of, how people are giving dawah today, what's what what's what's good in the way that they give dawah to non-Muslims and what's not so good from your experiences. So um, let's talk a little bit about your background and, and your yeah, upbringing as well. My background, like, uh, like uh, you mentioned, I was born and raised here in Toronto. Uh, the area that uh, we lived in when I was young was a pretty diverse uh, community. It's, uh, right now, if you go, it's mainly Indo-Pak. Mainly, right. uh, largely Gujarati, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Thorncliffe Park. So back when I was growing up, it was a lot of uh, Greeks, a lot of whites, a lot of Jamaicans, a lot of Filipinos, a lot of Indians and Pakistanis. So like I grew up, you know, pretty multicultural. If you looked at my class photos from when I was younger, you'll see a lot, a lot of different colors. And um, I didn't really start hanging around Filipinos until high school days. Okay. And that's when I started getting more into that, you know, like aware of race and stuff like that. And, um, you know, like I had a lot of Muslim friends growing up, but I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know they were Muslim. I didn't, I just knew they, you know, they're brown skin and, and whatnot. So, um, that's pretty much my, my upbringing. It's, uh, that's why I mentioned uh, about the thing. I'm not too big into Filipino culture, you know, like yeah. my, my uh, interaction with Filipinos as, you know, before high school was mainly just family, cousins and stuff like that, family, friends, or uh, people that lived in my building or in neighboring buildings in the area. But again, like we were in a multicultural setting. So, you know, we all had like friends from different ethnicities and nationalities and stuff. Um, in terms of Dawa, um, like, like I mentioned, my brother was real subtle. Um, there's a, I mean, with Dawa, it's pretty tricky because you, you have to, um, you have to know your, your, your audience mm. your, and your target, right? Mm. You, you gotta, um, try and figure out what will work because not everything, not, you know, it's not a one shoe fits all type exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, um, <coughs> it, like you said, like a lot of things uh, we're seeing today in terms of Dawa, like uh, I can't help but 
you know, face palm and cringe at some of the stuff going on because it's a bit yeah. too forward sometimes and without hikmah, without yeah. any wisdom. And that's the wisdom is the most important thing with Dawah because you might be doing a lot of harm, you know, um, being too aggressive with your Dawah. And um, that's one thing that me and my brother found with our family, right? With uh, some members of our family, that, like my parents and whatnot, um, we're a bit too aggressive and too like staunch on certain things like wearing a thobe and a ghutra and the shemag and all that stuff. And, you know, my dad, uh, he didn't like it right away. My mom stopped speaking to me for a couple of weeks when she found out I converted. Oh, really? Yeah, she was upset. She told me that she failed as a mother, um, which broke my heart because she, I feel that she actually did a great job at raising me and my brothers considering, you know, um, like we got into trouble, but we knew people that got into a lot worse trouble, right? Mm -hmm. um, so considering where we could have been and, you know, where, what actually happened with us, I, mean, I think my parents did a pretty good job. Yeah, and um, a lot of the values that they helped instill in us, <clears throat> I still have now respect towards women and and uh, your parents and importance of family, um, stuff like that. Like uh, the importance of honesty and integrity. Like I got that from my parents, and it got reinforced by this what I learned in Islam. You know, so what she told me you know she couldn't have been more wrong like in part you know her raising me helped lead me to islam yeah right so you know like like i was saying we we're a bit too staunch in certain things too a little bit too um inflexible and we caused a lot of damage and um you know i i feel that my dad um Though he loved us because we were his children, he kind of, you know, he had a lot of dislike for what we became, you know, like the, and practicing Muslims and stuff. And him and my brother used to clash quite a bit over certain things. And, um, you know, and he ended up passing away, uh, what was it, five years ago or so? I don't remember now. It's quite a while ago, but I mean, and, you know, uh we the the time before his his passing was mainly trying to fix the damage we did yeah you know and yeah. and that that you know if we had done things differently that time that we spent trying to fix things could have been spent you know trying to give better dawa hmm. so like with me, one of the things is um, I try and try and keep to is to have no regrets, and that every every slip and every every um, mistake you make, it leads you to where you're you're you are led anything you did in the past led to where you are now, and anything right. you're gonna do is gonna lead to where you're gonna be, and the only thing that you can do is to learn from it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, now, alhamdulillah, like. You know, things happened the way they did, and we are where we are now. And it's, it's helping me as a parent in, uh, you know, showing my kids, you know, you see that? Don't do that. Don't be like this guy. Don't be an idiot, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And um, alhamdulillah, I think my, uh, me and my wife are doing a pretty decent job with our kids. And uh, they got pretty good heads on their shoulders, you know. Mm -hmm. And and they see things that we see, like when, when people are being a bit too uh, forward with their dawah, unwise, you know, boneheaded, if you want to call it that, they, they, they see them. They, they see these things and they can point them out, you know, like, oh, that was just dumb. Why did they do that? <laughs> you know, I think. Do you think there's a, do you think there's a balance that has to be had here? Because on the one hand, I can totally relate to what you're saying because you'll find a lot of converts to or not a lot, some converts to Islam, some who came back to Islam like me in our teenage years. Mm -hmm. um, we have that overzealous sort of period, right, where yeah. everything's black and white, and you want to ram it down people's throats, and the and, and on the back of your mind, you want your family to really be, you know practicing Islam and come to Islam and sometimes you go overboard with that and it actually ends up pushing them away rather than bringing them back. I think quite a few people go through that sort of phase if you like. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got, like you mentioned earlier on, you were, you, were, you, you were brought up with Muslims in your community, but you had no idea what Islam was. They, they were too, maybe too shy to talk about it or didn't want to make it public and you know went to the other extreme of almost hiding their Islam, right? Yeah. Um, so there's got to be some sort of balance, don't you think, between oh, of the course, two? of course. Like in everything in life, there's got to be a balance, right? You can't yeah. be uh, too extreme one way or the other. And that's the trick with everything, whether it be dawah or, you know, your family life, your work life. Yeah. Um, it's always striving to, to find that, that even keel, right? That balance point where... You know, you're not too much this way, you're not too much that way. And um, like like I said earlier about uh, dawah requiring wisdom, that's part of it. You know, and knowing when you can start being a little bit more aggressive or when you need to start to lay back a bit. Mm. You, know, you got to keep an eye on, on what you're saying and what you're doing, how the people are reacting to it and um, engage accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We've got a question here. Mm -hmm. um, Rashid, what makes you cringe about the dawah now? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Let's break that down a little bit. Oh, where to start? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, that's a that's a pretty uh, big question. I mean, well, let's start off with you know, let's look at um, from your experiences. So you've got, for example. Your brother gave a particular type of dawah to you. Mm -hmm. You and your brother, or your brother gave a particular type of dawah to your father, which had an adverse react, uh, reaction to that. You've seen in your community um, people who shy away from giving dawah altogether. Mm -hmm. Then you mentioned about those who are a bit too direct and too forward and cringe, as you put it, um, Who and even your kids can notice it when they see that. Why did he? Why did they do it like that? You know, where's the hikmah? Where's the wisdom behind talking about certain things or doing certain things? Let's open that up a little bit. Mm. Well, I mean, it, there's so much going on right now, and so many like uh, different aspects about society. You know, certain trends and stuff. Like right now, um, a big thing is cancel culture, mm. right? Where any little mistake a person makes, or you know, like 
even not even a mistake but a uh, something that others perceive to be a mistake but might not be you know and then people start you know going up in arms like oh my god how can he say this astaghfirullah you know this guy isn't he's off it now he's deviant he's he's blah 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 you know and then mm-hmm. all this outrage happens and they try and cancel the person whereas you know like and this person could have had a lot of uh contributions to the dawa prior to that you know a lot of good work that they've done and because they're going a certain way that people don't necessarily like you know all of a sudden that's all forgotten and cast aside you know where and then he's judged accordingly and we see it a lot with different personalities in the dawa right western speakers eastern speakers and um you know stuff like that are like things that uh, <laughs> There's one uh, one incident that I remember hearing about. I didn't follow it too closely, but uh, involving knitting. Knitting. And the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing with. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the whole thing about masculinity and you know, it, and these ideas like, it's just. I I don't know. It's just like people making mountains out of molehills. Hmm. You know, like, so what if he knit? Who cares? Like, what? And what's so feminine about it? Yeah. You know, like the Prophet Sallallahu used to sew his clothes, and sewing is viewed here in the West, especially as a feminine occupation. Like, are you going to say that the Prophet Sallallahu was feminine? You know, of billah. Of course not. Yeah. You know, so it's like people need to relax. People need to chill and. And not jump on every little thing, like you know, like so what? Let them do their dawa. Like as if he's doing, if he's having a good effect or having a positive effect on people, then you know, just let him be. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's interesting. That's an interesting point there. And <clears throat> the, the interesting thing is, many of our teachers don't behave like that. Many of our scholars don't behave like that. No, so this, the way that things are the that's being portrayed is. It's actually quite far from the, the, the teachings that we, the tarbiyah that we were given as well, actually. Mm-hmm. Now, when you started practicing the deen, it's interesting. Where was, because I'm not sure about the gap. I've, I've got a bit of gap in between from when you started practicing to when you started translating Arabic works and having your blog post. What got you down that route in the first place? Because obviously you studied Arabic at some point to be able to translate. Uh, in terms of Arabic, I'm pretty much self-studied. Okay. Um, and I, I got started early on, alhamdulillah. Uh, okay, so, um, where do I start? <clears throat> so, after I converted, like I said, my brother was away, and uh, I actually converted on the first part of his trip while he was in the Philippines. Um, so that was in the first month of his trip, and he was supposed to be gone for, I think, was it two months or? Either two or three, I forget. But I know that, um, wait, was it? I'm pretty, uh, well, anyways, when he came back, his first word of advice to me was uh, that I was going to see a lot of stuff about different groups, hmm. you know, Sunni, Shia, Tabrihi, 
Sufi, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, you might start getting a bit confused about stuff. And he said, if you're going to learn from anybody, learn from the Salafis. Right? And that was his word of advice to me. And I said, okay, fine. You know? And alhamdulillah, the, one of um, my dearest friends was a neighbor of mine. He lived above me and uh, in the building he is one of the brothers I, at the time i didn't know he was part of qss the quran society okay um and another brother that's currently living in saudi his name is nile i met him before i converted he i met him at um my friend's wedding right who had okay. converted so like i mentioned there were two friends that had converted uh, along with my brother uh the two Filipinos, uh, brother Idris and his wife, who recently passed away, rahimahullah. rahimahullah. Um, they they had invite uh, Idris had invi invited a friend that uh, he had just met, and there's a, a rich and Egyptian brother who spoke my language. Okay. Uh, he spoke Tagalog, so um, him and this uh, my neighbor Omar or both part of QSS, and I didn't know that. So I got, after converting, I became friends with them, and you know I hung around them quite a bit. And um, so I, early on, I got involved with QSS from very, very early. And, um, you know, like the importance, a lot of, one of the things about Salafi Dao is always about uh, seeking knowledge, gaining knowledge, learning. So I got encouraged to start learning Arabic. So I got my hands on the Medina books. I went through them myself. Uh, I did the first two books. I, didn't, I started the third, but I didn't finish it, and I still haven't finished it to this day. Um, but, uh, you know, so I started learning the alphabet, learning how to pronounce the letters, um, going through the books, like I said, and then uh, translating things on my own just to, uh, as a means of gaining vocab, mainly. You know, so um, friends would send me posts from various Arabic forums or quotes from different books, and I would translate those for myself. Okay. And that's how I got into that. Yeah. Um, and then a few years after, like, I'd say around 2005, 2006, a friend of mine encouraged me to start the blog. So that's what, that's when that started. Right, okay. We've got a comment from our brother Ali Hassan. May mm -hmm. Allah reward Ustad Rashid for all his articles against Hadadiyya and extreme in Tabdi groups. Yeah, so your your blog was actually really powerful. Actually, I, I do remember that's how I got introduced to you because of your blog. The articles that were on there were amazing. It was it was so wide and comprehensive. Um, it's a shame you stopped actually because there were a lot of stuff which was relevant, which was you know, um, uh, the content was good. Mm -hmm. It was translated works which we couldn't get our couldn't get our hands on. There was a lot of things that you know I benefited from personally, and that's where we became sort of virtual friends. And then the first time I met you in person was at uh, Kufi's house when I dropped you off. Yeah, yeah, London, yeah, yeah. If you remember, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember that night perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that's the first time I met you in person. And I think you were working on a project with the brother and translating some stuff. That's why you were at his house. And I happened Actually, to be in London. I was just hanging out <laughs> because okay. I was visiting family in London. And uh, it was my second trip there. It was uh, 2008, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I, that most of that trip, I was hanging out with uh, Abdul Haq. We were That's right. Up, hooking up here and there. I met a lot of brothers, actually. I met uh, some pretty good friends. Uh, you, brother Shad from Ains- Aylesbury. Yeah. Um, Hassan al Turki. A whole bunch of guys mm-hmm. from the UK. I thought, actually, no, I met uh, the brothers in Luton on my first trip in 2005. But yeah, I met, um, I met quite a nice, uh, few nice brothers in, uh, in the UK in my visits there. Because you basically, one of the things that, I remember one article that you, that you wrote on your blog was about the Arabic language and learning Arabic. Yeah, so that was wrote, my uh, post on learning it on your own. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. broke it up into two parts. One was, if, if you want to learn Arabic for <clears throat> reading and writing, or reading basically, mm-hmm. and then there's one if you want to speak. There's a different, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. A different approach you have to take for both basically. Of course, yes. Do you remember? Do you remember that article? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. What was your What's the advice that you give the viewers for those who want to learn Arabic? What's your advice to them? Uh, well, like I said in the article, first and foremost, your intention, why you're doing it, because um, if you're doing it for Allah and and also like to better yourself in your understanding of the the religion, Allah is going to help you because of the reason you're doing it, right? To understand yeah. his words and uh, his words of his prophets, um, After that, determine you need to come to uh, a decision on what your actual goal is. You know, if you mm-hmm. want to co- be able to converse, like you said, and communicate, or just to read for yourself, right? And for me, it was just to read. I, I wasn't too interested in having deep conversations with people and you know flexing my arabic skills <laughs> um mainly it was just so that i could read and and translate so um the goal for each is like i mean the the aims for each is going to be a bit different mm. um obviously for both you're going to need to learn grammar and stuff but then with uh conversing um you're going to need a lot more immersive uh things to like one of my, one of my friends what he did was um he made a deal with his neighbor who was egyptian that uh they would only converse with each other in arabic and that if my friend answered him in english that he would be ignored right okay <laughs> so it forced him to use what he knew and um he 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 began uh he Gained a, a not I'll say like a good amount of fluency, but he he became pretty fluent pretty quickly, right? Okay. So yeah. it, you have to be immersed in it. And if you're in a in the country in a country in the West like here where Arabic isn't spoken uh, very much, you're gonna have to come up with things like that. You know, uh, if you're in an Arabic country, it's a little bit easy. It's a lot easier because everyone's speaking Arabic. Yeah. Yeah. But um. So for me, because I wanted to read, you know, like that's I didn't have to worry about that too much. <laughs> for me, it was just accumulating vocab, getting familiar with um, figuring out the root words and the forms and stuff like that, and and also becoming best friends with the dictionary. Inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, Alhamdulillah. So, I think that's some good advice there, actually, and and. Depending on the person, what they want, like you, like you said, it's the intention. What they want to get out of Arabic mm-hmm. is the route, that, an approach that they're gonna, 
they're going to go down. Uh, we've got we've got quite a few comments coming up here. So just based upon what you were saying, Muslim BB he says, um, brother Rashid, I understand what you mean by cancel culture, but don't you think we need people to call out others if need be? It can cause people to be misguided otherwise. Of course, um, but there's a way to do it, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the things that, alhamdulillah, I was very uh, blessed and fortunate to have was one of my translations was published. Um, and it was a book written by Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al Abad uh, entitled Rifqan al Sunnah bi al Sunnah. It translates to um, gentle, gentleness. Or Ahl Sunnah with Ahl Sunnah. So basically, be gentle with each other. And um, this book, I translated it and and published it. It was a, mainly about a fitna that happened. It started in, I think, um, 2000, 2001. Maybe you remember mm. better. I remember, yeah. Sheikh Abul Hassan al Ma'rabi. 2000, yeah. Yeah, that's when it first started to make waves. And it. it Blew up by 2002, 2003. I think it started before that, but it was building up, wasn't it? And then it really yeah, exactly. 2000, 2001. Yeah, so for those who aren't familiar, Sheikh Abul Hassan al Ma'rabi is a, an Egyptian sheikh who resides in Yemen. And he was one of the premier students of Sheikh Muqbil bin Hadi al Wadi'i. Um, and what had happened with him was a bunch of his colleagues and fellow students of Sheikh Mukbil basically tag teamed against him <laughs> to get him thrown off because they didn't like him too much. And a lot of it was based off of personal um, personal beefs. And uh, Sheikh Rabi bin Hadi al-Madkhali from Saudi got involved and he was the main, I guess, uh, antagonist of the story. <laughs> and um, so there was a lot of fighting back and forth, words thrown, articles and books written back and forth between uh, Sheikh Abul Hassan and Sheikh Rabi'ah. And various scholars from around the world started taking sides and um, same thing, writing back and forth, writing back and forth. Mm. And by the time Sheikh Abdul Muhsin wrote his book, it was basically telling everybody to chill out and, you know, you guys need to have mercy with one another, and and um, you know he was one of the the sheikhs that mentioned that this beef was largely personal, and that it didn't have any re real religious um, uh, grounding. Root. Yeah, yeah, any grounding. So you know it wasn't a, a something that um, was a true cause for people to be up in arms and say, you know, so-and-so is, is, uh, is a deviant or whatever. And he, he mentioned in the book that, yes, we correct mistakes, you know, but, uh, sorry, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the manner in which we correct them matters, you know, and, uh, it's quite funny because one of the principles that Sheikh Abul Hassan got accused of innovating was we correct, but we don't destroy. Hmm. And uh, that was actually the, uh, an article that he had written, excuse me, um, I was working on. I got about half of it translated before I stopped. Um, 
where he mentions, he quotes from a lot of scholars from the past about this, about correcting people's mistakes, but without doing so without destroying the person's in, uh, reputation. And credibility, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And his credibility, right? Mm. And, uh, and that's one of the things that we see um, that a lot of people don't do today, right? Where they, they attack and they attack and they not only criticize the mistake that was made, but they criticize the person who made it. Yeah. You know, and they, they try and ruin the reputation of the person. And like you said, like it cancel culture, right? Mm. Um, where, you know, like say, without mentioning any names, like a particular sheikh, known to be an upright and, uh, you know, a sheikh upon the truth, for the most part, giving Dao for 20, 30 years, you know, and all of a sudden he says one thing that people don't agree with and that 20, 30 That's years it. worth of Dao is thrown in the garbage, you know, like exactly. it's totally it's forgotten, crazy. which is nuts because those things that he did in the past, they could be the things that give grant him Jannah. Yeah. You don't know that, right? And that one little mistake that he made yesterday or the, last week or whatever might might not even be considered by Allah because of all the good that he's done previously mm. you know and this whole thing about um destroying people because of you know little mistakes they have here or there or you know like because you don't agree with them on certain things mm. you know it, it it's it's well, it's, the sad thing is, especially when it's like, when it becomes personal beef. And how crazy is it? You were talking earlier, you know, the scholars, they were back and forth, and then, and then it turned out that there was personal beef and issues between them and personality, you know, um, differences. But mm -hmm. the crazy thing is, for me, these things that are going on on a scholarly, scholarly level, which is fine because they're going to be trying to correct each other and do what needs to be done, but then it's, it seeps over to the UK where you're forced to take a position as a layperson and it's yeah. got nothing to do with anything, right? Exactly, like, exactly. What on earth are you talking about? Why do I have to make a position here or there? It doesn't affect me either way. It, it genuinely doesn't in my everyday life. It yeah. does not affect me in any way, shape or form. I'm still going to benefit from the knowledge, you know, the, the good that comes. Mm -hmm. Regardless whether you like that person or don't like him, I'm still going to benefit from the knowledge, right? Exactly. And I think there's 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 another. So that's that's one aspect which I've never got my head around. You know, let the scholars deal with what they need to deal with. It's not something that you, as a layperson or even a student of knowledge, has to get involved with. What is that all about? Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a weird thing. Like, you know, like uh. Early 2000s, like I said, the, this whole controversy with Sheikh Abul Hassan, you yeah. know, people were asking, what is your view on Abul Hassan al-Ma'ribi? And, and a lot of the time, the people they were asking had no idea who this person was. You know, like, I'm going to have a position on someone I don't even know. Hmm. I don't read from. I don't, like, I've never heard of him before. You know, like, you have to have a position. What, you know, Sheikh Rabia said this. <laughs> It's like, dude, relax. I don't know nothing about this. <laughs> you know, and, I, and a yeah. lot of us got tested by that. It was, it was honestly, there were some, there, there were some big tri trials and tribulations from that for 
the brothers who would just want to develop themselves and keep moving it forward. But there's some mm -hmm. more comments here. There's one from Merciful Servant I think is interesting. Do you think Muslims thrive off controversy? Why does it happen? I mean, personally for me, I think a lot of it's egos, you know. A lot of it's egos. Um, yeah, partially. The way. I mean, I think in, humans in general are attracted to to controversy and to to just like I don't know unfortunate things. <laughs> we'll call them that. Like I mean, you see it all the time. Like you're driving down the highway, there's a crash, everybody slows down to look, mm. you know, to see what happened, and it's the part of that you know human curiosity to see what's going on, and and I think that's part of it. You know, yeah. and then also like, um, like you said, ego, right? Like, yeah, I know what's going on. I I know about this. I know about that. And but I mean, even gets to extremes of like, you know, <clears throat> um, judging intentions, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, he 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 said this, but he didn't mean that. Actually, he doesn't know. You know, he's he's a specialist in this area. This scholar, this sheikh is a specialist in this area. He doesn't mm -hmm. know about manhaj affairs, and you know all that sort of stuff. Yeah, on, this is—I don't know. I think it—I think it goes a bit too far in many cases with the way that people go about correcting, you know, others and this cancel culture, like you mentioned. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's yeah, people go to extremes sometimes. When very it comes much to this. so. Very much so. I mean, a lot of it also has to do with ignorance too, right? Like, there's one uh, fairly recent controversy that I came across. Um, uh, regarding the preservation of the Quran, <laughs> right? And the Sheikh had some words about it, and people took those words the wrong way. They didn't understand what he was trying to say. And um, if they had actually read the literature on the topic, they'd know that he was very close to being right, if not right, you know, outright. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say so, about that is the the way in, in which it was done and the platform which it was done on. Yeah, that that's very the, wise. There wasn't much hikmah in that in the way that it was, you know, presented. I guess you know, yeah, if you're going to talk true. about it like that. Very true, but I mean, like he didn't. He was kind of pressured hmm. into giving the answer that he gave because the brother kept pressing. Um, which I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he apologized for. Um, but like I said, like regardless of the way that the topic is is raised and how it's um, presented to the people, you know, like like I said, like people need to relax, they need to chill a bit because they're responding in 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 ways that um, are not only not befitting but also um, fueled by ignorance. Right? They haven't read enough on the topic to know. What the what the true uh, reality is of the situation, you know, and and there's so much like in the literature, like I said, like that indicate that what his his take on it is is the right take, you know, and and I did some reading on my own just to see, and there's a lot of examples like regarding the different qiraat and the like the the parts of the Quran that were not preserved as Quran, right? We only have mention of these parts in in narrations from the companions and stuff that they used to recite this verse in this way and 
they used to recite this verse in that way. And, you know, the same companions are saying that they learned it directly from the Prophet But we don't find these recitations in the Mus'haf. Right? So, what's the explanation for that? Mm. You know, people people got to be a little bit more critical in their thinking and not just regurgitate what they've been told, you know, by so-and-so or so-and-so. Yeah, I mean, not to get too much into the controversy, I think the issue is, you know, the the impact it has on on explaining things, well, talking about things without explaining it properly. Of course, and of course. With the whole preservation of the Quran, and we know the Quran is pre- preserved. We know that the, the Allah promises and mentions that the Quran is preserved, and it's clear cut on that. Yeah, I don't think any Muslim. I don't think any Muslim, even those who were talking about it from uh, from that particular conversation, dispute that. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I think the the issue is, you know, the the time and place on how you talk about things and when you talk about things. Of course, of course. I think that's the main issue here for me. Um, and and who's talking about it as well? It's not some things are just not for the masses because it will get misconstrued, taken out of context. And even in that issue, even non-Muslims, enemies of Islam, haters of Islam, um, were using using statements to try and discredit Islam as well. So I yeah, I saw I saw a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube with that. Yeah, so I think, I think it's very dangerous it. to 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 push certain ideas which without clear guidelines and full explanations yeah you don't have to answer every question rashid why do you have to even if you're pressed why did he why does anyone have to answer any question if you're not going to give the the due justice to such an important topic like that as well right yeah so i think that there is a level of responsibility that people have in order to clarify the full picture rather than just give a snapshot on the spot right because that that's what opens the doors for fitna right yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, so uh, there's another comment here from Merciful Servant, which is, um, why are Salafis so synonymous with refutations and the cancel <laughs> culture you talk about? That's an interesting one. It's very interesting. <laughs> Give your take on that, bro. I think this is an important one. Uh, I think a lot of the Salafi brothers, especially the ones involved in online Dawah, the, mm. They take it upon themselves to, like, I mean, the two the two groups that we're really familiar with, you know, the two quote unquote madkhali groups, um, they took it upon themselves to be, you know, they you know, actually people have called them or they themselves have called themselves the vanguards of the dawa in the West, right? So they've put it upon themselves to be the protectors of the dawa. And anything that they feel encroaches upon, uh, you know, the sanctity of our, uh, of our call, they'll, they'll come to its defense. So I think that's one of the things that they got carried away with, you know, refuting this and that. And and, and you see, like, they, they started refuting each other. <laughs> yeah. Cannibalizing themselves. And, um, and that's the thing. They, they, they changed their focus from teaching and and um and, and and raising and cultivating to you know to trying to defend against it's a lot of things that didn't really need to be defended against hmm. you know what i mean yeah i mean we, we were talking about something <laughs> earlier on as well i mean just it's not just some of the more extreme elements if you like or the the, the, the ones who aren't so balanced within salafia 
-hmm. you know, even some of the brothers who claim to be balanced, the, the, the youth today. I mean, we know the mistakes that we made in the 90s. We know that, right? Some of the older brothers and the, the du'at and the, mm -hmm. who were involved in da'wah back in the 90s who were older than me. Um, but, the, I mean, the way that I look at it is in the 90s, the da'wah was very new. The late 80s, the 90s, the da'wah in the UK was very new in particular. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was no mentors in, as such. And it was a very new landscape when the da'wah was being pushed in a certain way, right? <coughs> Mm -hmm. And yes, it got hijacked. Yes, it got taken into a direction which, you know, uh, it it didn't do any justice. It did a huge disservice for what the the Dawa was all about. But then you fast forward twenty years, twenty five years, right? You've still got the, the, some of the young brothers who are making the same mistakes. Yeah, as the the brothers were in the nineties. But the, the, the sad thing is they're not taking the advice and the lessons from those older brothers who went through that whole thing. Mm -hmm. That's the sad thing for me. Why do you yeah. think that is, though? Well, like I mentioned earlier before we started uh, the live broadcast, um, ignorance of history, right? Yeah. Ignorance of what happened and what transpired, why things happened and why they transpired the way they did. And if you don't know history, you're, you're not going to learn from those mistakes that were made, right? Mm. And uh, like you said, everything comes full circle. And, you know, we find people making the same mistakes today as they did yesterday. And it's because of that ignorance. They don't know the history of what went down and what happened. And, you know, all the, they just know names here and names there. And, you know, and then... I think that's why, you know, with regards to that, I think that's why our brother, Abdul Haq Baker, <laughs> He's, the, he's done an excellent sort of volume or numerous volumes on the chronicles of UK Salafi Dawah. Yeah, I listened to those podcasts. They're pretty good, mashallah. They're very good. I found them very good. It, gave, it gives you like a step-by-step, -step, you know, update on the different stages and transitions of how the Dawah went from, um, you know, from what it really stood for and then how it got sort of hijacked and changed, and, you know. Um, so I think that the, the those who are involved in the Dawah and that they really need to to listen to that, that those volumes, the, the mm -hmm. YouTube videos, because he, he's chronicled it very, very well. I would say. Yeah, I think it's the only thing of its type, isn't it? I don't think anybody else has done anything to that extent, anyway. Um, there were attempts prior. I think the, there was a bro, one brother that wrote his. Uh, was it Omar Lee? I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah. Years yeah, back, yeah. where he wrote his perspective of the Taliban. the rise and fall. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he did it on his blog, didn't he? Yeah, and, and you'll find other people giving their experiences too. But uh, one thing is that the people got to keep in mind is that these are their personal experiences. Yeah. And it's not going to be the same for everybody. Right? Yeah, no, I, agree. Uh, I agree. But there are certain. Oh, is that everything right? <laughs> um, yeah, certain milestones that people need to keep aware of, right? And uh, mm. some of these things have been documented. There are articles and books out about these things that are available for people to check and and see what happened. You know, like Rifan uh, al-Sunnah, like you said, is, um, is, is out there. And um, I've heard from some brothers, even fairly recently, that, you know, like that work has benefited them quite a bit and opened their eyes to the reality of the situation. And um, 
one brother messaged me and told me it was a, it was a paradigm shift for him. You know, alhamdulillah. It, it, and it's it's comforting to know that you know the work that you do has has some positive effects. Hmm. So alhamdulillah. Absolutely, bro. You need to get back onto that um onto that blog and start translating. <laughs> it yeah, that's what you need to do. We'll see, I mean, look we'll at see. this. Check this out. One of the comments, Ali Hassan, he says, "Ostad, please try to complete the article. We advise and don't destroy." Bro, there's there's a need for it, man. There's something that is definitely there. Uh, it, that's debatable, <laughs> but I mean, we'll see, we'll see. Inshallah, we'll see. There's some more comments here. I think um, the whole thing, Muslim BB says the whole thing with Mufti Menk and the knitting stuff could have been easy dealt with if they just called each other up, you know, and spoke directly. That could have, yeah, that could have sorted that out. Maybe, I, but I, I think there's some other problems with that too, like the this concept of what masculinity is and mm. femininity and and these things about uh, activities and, and where each activity falls under, you know? Like mm. these concepts and stuff, some of them are foreign to Islam and they're being pushed as, you know, like this is the Islamic uh, uh, view on gender roles and, you know, it's, and it's got no basis. Right. Okay. Um, but I think it. Th I think the point that the brother is trying to make is there would have been a lot less drama, possibly. Oh, for sure. By, I mean, by doing that. For sure. For sure. Yeah, because the the dawa dramas, yeah, they're getting a bit too a bit too many and a bit too consistent. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the problem. Well, like, like I said, people watch, right? That, that's yeah. what gets all the clicks and the views. It's entertainment, bro. What can we say? Yeah. Um, there's some more comments. I'm just going to quickly read through some of these. There's some quite good ones here. Ismail Al Buzidi says, um, "Mufti Menk is not a scholar. Far from a scholar. A scholar in Islam from this era are, for example, Ibn Thaymin, uh, Sheikh Fozan, Al Albani, Rahimahullah, that sort of thing." Yeah. Uh, he says that Mufti Menk is a da'i. I mean, Allah understand. This is, this is another problem that a lot of people have. They don't know what knowledge is. They don't know what qualifies someone as a scholar and what doesn't. Mm. You know? And I, I know a lot of people make make light of um, certificates and degrees and stuff, but those things mean something, you know? And if, if shuyukh are actually regarding these graduates as shuyukh, then who are you to say otherwise? You know, one of my friends um, graduated from Medina and Sheikh Abdul Muhsin's son, Sheikh Abdul Razak, called him Sheikh. So who are you to say he's not a Sheikh? When a Sheikh is recognizing him as a Sheikh. You know, and, and the same thing with brother uh, Sheikh Yasser Qadi. Like, okay, he got a PhD from a Western university, but it's still a PhD in Islamic studies. You can't deny that. And it, and it's and it's his his qualifications are a lot higher than than some of the shiuch that some of these guys are considering to be shiuch. You know, like you got to know what knowledge is, and you got to recognize who has it, mm. regardless if you agree with them or not. You know, and, and it's funny. One of the things that uh, occurred, and I posted about this on my blog a, a few years back. You know. Um, Our, our friend Abu Usama al Zahabi, he was criticized yeah. by some brothers for calling Sheikh Yusuf al Qardawi a Sheikh. And regardless of what you think of Sheikh Yusuf, al Qardawi is a Sheikh and he's a really big one. 
You know, you can't say he's not. Our own shiuch considered him a sheikh and a scholar. Like, who are you to say he's not? You know, and, and that title doesn't mean that you're a good one or a bad one, you know. Just like a, a Muslim could be a good Muslim or a bad Muslim, you can have a good scholar and you can have a bad scholar. But the, the fact is that they're scholars. Whether you agree with them or not, on their opinions and, and you know, see the question, uh, how would I define yeah, a scholar? Define a scholar is someone who studied, who studied a, the, the required amount to become one. You know, and if you've, you've spent 10, 15 years in a university to get whatever degree, you're a scholar. You might not be a very good one, but you're still a scholar. <laughs> you know, you might be a great one. It, it all depends on, on the work that you do. There's a number of conditions that, that, that you can apply to see if somebody's a scholar or not. I think Ismail al-Buzidi, this is some of the things that he's mentioning. If you look at some of his comments, mm-hmm. he's saying he has to fear Allah, knowledge, understand Arabic, so you can understand the, the Sunnah and the early scholars. How do you know if someone fears Allah, though? That Only Allah knows that. <laughs> only Allah knows that. And, and, then and we have that hadith comment. that mentions one of the first people to go to hell is the alim who, who, who learned just to show off, right? Mm. So how do you know? The... Someone's taqwa is it, that's between him and Allah. You have no right to judge that. Hmm. But I think there's some there's some more comments that he puts on there. <clears throat> he knows things when it's revealed and when it's revealed and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, and knows a great part of it and refers to the first and refers to the scholars and knowledge of fiqh. Uh, only those and then he gives an eye from the Quran. <clears throat> I think what Ismail's trying to say is that there is you can distinguish between and I think I agree with this as well, you can distinguish between the scholars of the Sunnah and scholars in general, if you like, right? So you can make a distinction between that. Um, and yeah, people who study, people who, who who get, you know, spend whatever amount of time that they spend seeking knowledge, they're, they're scholars, they're scholars in Islam. Whether we agree with them or not on yeah. certain viewpoints, fiqh points, even aqidah points, um, doesn't negate that they're a scholar or not. They could, yeah. You could have scholars from the Shiite, for example. They're scholars, especially yeah. in the particular particular fields. Um, but do we agree with them? Probably not. Do we agree with many of the scholars that you mentioned? Even Dr. Yasser Qadi, I don't agree with him on many things. That's for sure. I, I probably wouldn't consider him a scholar as such, but certainly a student of knowledge, that's for sure. But the point is, there, there is this categorization, I guess, is what yeah. the brother's trying to mention here. This categorization of scholar, how big or small the scholar is, student of knowledge, how big or small they are, the uh, type of scholar, the type of student of knowledge, which mm-hmm. sort of which sort of uh, specialities they, they they fall into, and things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. does that make sense? I think that's yeah, yeah. I think that's what the brother's trying to say. Perhaps. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we're my my, my the point is here. like if you studied, right. You deserve to be called what you've studied to be, right? So, like I said, like, and you mentioned yourself, there there are scholars amongst Ahlul Bid'ah, and they're still scholars. They still have knowledge, you know, like they might have uh, wrong viewpoints and wrong opinions on certain things, but they still have that knowledge. They don't not stop becoming scholars because they're not on the Sunnah anymore. This is my point. 
you know like mm -hmm. you have to know knowledge you have to have a recognition of who has it and you have to respect it hmm. and there's another comment here by uh by jerry scholar depends on their understanding of al-quran and sunnah i think you you think you argued against that earlier on well i mean this this is a, one of the problems uh, that you know have, have been plaguing our our dawah from pretty much when I became Muslim, you know, not not knowing these things, not recognizing them. Hmm. I think merciful servant makes a good point here. Just exactly to 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 follow on from what you just said there, Salafis are often seen as harsh too, but as I understand it, this is not the way it should be. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it it shouldn't be like that. But so everything has its place, right? Everything has its place, and and that's the thing. Like people don't know when to be harsh and when not to. Exactly, be. exactly. You know, it has its place. Yeah. So there's a time to be harsh, and there's a time to be soft. There's a time to be, you know, direct, and there's a time to be indirect. Yeah. So yeah. it's putting things in its right place, and I guess that's exactly. what hikmah is, isn't it? Hikmah is that exactly, wisdom exactly. is putting things in its right place when it needs to be. Yeah. So exactly. saying the right things at the right time, essentially. And that's essentially what hikmah is. So I think you, you know, there is some truth that some Salafis, they don't have very much hikmah when it comes to these things. But I don't think we could say all. And you know, I no, think no, there no. are some very balanced Salafis out there as well who are who are not so harsh, right? So <laughs> I think there's a, I think there's a balance to be had there. Yeah. Well, alhamdulillah, I have, there's a good handful of brothers that I have off the top of my head that are, I consider very balanced, very wise. Yeah, sure. Who who are they? Who who do you trust in that sense? Uh, well, I mean, we have a very good friend, Abu Usama Dhabi. I've yeah. known him for several years. We're a very good friend. Yeah, um, absolutely. There's a brother that's here now in Toronto. He used to be there in the UK with you guys, Martasim. Oh yeah, he's mashallah. He's a very he's beautiful Newton. brother. Give my salams to him. I haven't uh, seen him in. I haven't decades. seen him in quite a while either. I, I'm quite shy to, to reach out because I haven't seen him in. In so long, but uh, and he and he's, you know what his his manners are so beautiful, right? Apart from his recitation, is next level, right? Oh, my recitation, right? it melts your heart. Honestly, when you pray behind him, that are we behind him? It melts your heart. Trust me, yeah. But uh, may Allah, may Allah preserve him. You know, he's a beautiful brother. But his manners is what stuck out for me with him. Yeah, his he's manners. A, he's another. You know, totally opposed this comment that merciful servant said about Muslims being harsh. This brother ain't harsh, you know. He's not he's harsh. one of a kind, mashallah. He is, mashallah. He's very, very good like that. Yeah. Who else? Who else did you say you're gonna uh, that you find a more balance from those? Uh, your brother Abdurrahim. Yeah, man. Sheikh Abdurrahim Green, you know, mashallah. and and there's others too that that aren't don't exactly uh, identify as Salafi anymore. That I I, I know. I, I don't mm. want to mention names, but you know, fairly balanced brothers. Some of them are a little bit snarky, a little bit too sarcastic for people's liking, but <laughs> at the end of the day, they, they've got good heads on their shoulders. And the, the, you have to be willing to like have an open mind. And, and, and I don't mean so open that you let everything in, but I mean, you got to have, you got to be critical about the stuff you hear, even if it's coming from your camp. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and Islam is, isn't, isn't, restricted in the sense that you know like there's unless it's been clearly revealed that there's one 
true path, you know, like by definition, we know there is only going to be one truth, but determining what that truth is, is dependent on the information available to us. Mm. Right. And sometimes you just can't determine what is the real truth. So as long as everything fits in the framework and there's a valid opinion, then you can't jump on people that, that disagree with you. Exactly. Not, not in the way that's, that we see people doing today. Absolutely. And look at look at this comment here by Knowledge North, our brother from Knowledge North. We're going to have him on the show as well, by the way. Oh, so I'm, gonna, I look, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to be a good one. He says it's a, it's a very important point here. Ibn Taymiyyah recognized the scholarship mm -hmm. of all those non-Sunni scholars who had even incarcerated him. You know, so exactly, exactly. He, he recognizes that the the scholarship of uh, you know if uh, somebody who is a scholar, just because even if we don't agree with them, and he refused to have them punished due to the benefit they could bring to the common people, despite the errant stances. Exactly, That's exactly what you were mentioning just before, right? Exactly. So, um, that just echoes exactly what you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, yeah, he's. He's one, he's one of our balanced brothers, right? The one yeah. That we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, his, you guys check out his YouTube channel. It's, it's yeah, yeah, so. you must check out the YouTube <laughs> channel. There's two, there's two links you've got to check out from today's podcast, guys, yeah? One is Knowledge North, which you just saw there, and the second one is Rashid Gonzalez's uh, blog post, yeah, blogspot. What's the, what's the link? It's WordPress, it's, yeah? It's uh, rashidgonzalez.wordpress.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, if you Google my name, you'll find it. It's easy. <laughs> Yeah, you'll find it. You have Just to ignore the, the, the posts on Salafi Talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, avoid them ones, yeah. yeah. Good. I think that's a good way to finish off the to finish off the uh, the podcast, bro. I think it was it was a good, insightful discussion. There it is. Jazakallah khair for, for joining us. I don't think there's any Jazakallah more khair for having me. It was uh it was good catching up, man. It was uh good seeing been, you, been good hearing. A long time you. coming, yeah. Yeah, man. We should do it again sometime. Definitely, definitely. Maybe we'll get both you and Abdurrahman on together at some point. <laughs> That'll be good. Inshallah. Let's, let's, let's really stir the pot, yeah, when with you two on it, inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap it up there, guys. We'll be back tomorrow, inshallah. So make sure you tune in tomorrow midnight and Sunday midnight. We're going to be talking about, well, Islam, fitness, health, combat sports, um, we've got we've got it all happening, inshallah, over this weekend. Saturday and Sunday, we'll be back same time, inshallah. So, on that note, assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.